Greetings and salutations to all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. That's right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You can get this particular podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Beacon, Free Radio, Pocket Casts, and, of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, folks, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause. You can donate right online, right where you listen, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford forward as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary, something you don't ever get in the, the mainstream media, along with sound science and conservation principles. Please help spread the word. You know, we're growing by leaps and bounds. People are getting better informed every single day. And again, I want to make sure that it's very clear that this is my show. It's my commentary. It's my opinion. And it doesn't necessarily reflect any of the official positions that may be held by some of the organizations that I am a part of. However, if it is an official position, I'm going to let you know about it. All right, we're going to jump right in, folks, and I want to wish everyone a happy autumn. Yes, that's right. The first day of summer happened on September 22nd. That would have been last Wednesday. Uh, the autumnal equinox was Tuesday, September 21. That was when, you know, the daylight hours and the nighttime hours, the darkness hours, were 12 hours each. They were equal, hence the term equinox. And, you know, it's officially that summer is over, and it, it's kind of sad, but we had a heck of a great summer wonderful fishery, wonderful fishing, um, and we also had a lot of uh, you know, busy activity uh, with lots of regulatory action from the New York State DEC um, with the never-ending saga of the youth hunt, the local law in Erie County, uh, a new deer season for the antlerless-only deer, which uh, by and large seemed to be a successful inaugural season. We had a few freshwater records uh, broken here in New York State, the freshwater fishing records, uh, including the largest crappie ever caught in New York. That was caught in August. And we also had a record bowfin that was brought to the scales and uh, is now occupying the, uh, the uh, echelons of the state record. And congratulations to those anglers. Uh, some updates as we head into the fall. Uh, Erie County Executive Mark Polencards did hold his public hearing on Local Law Intro 1-1-2021 uh, to lower the hunting age in Erie County, and it was held on Tuesday, September 21st at the Rath Building, the 14th floor. The sporting community of Erie County were well represented, although a few more in the gallery would have been nice to see, but it is a small conference room up there in the uh, Department of Public Works, and, uh, you know, we had probably a dozen or more people there representing the sporting community, and, uh, you know, on the other side, the Antis only had a couple, there were two people in the gallery, and they really imploded when it was their spokeswoman's turn uh, to address the county attorney and the county executive's chief of staff who were on hand to collect the information from this public hearing. They actually spent more time complaining about not being notified, which they were. Public notice was more than provided. Um, and it was up on the website, and it was announced, you know, the, at least a week prior to the, uh, prior to the, uh, the, the meeting that was held. Uh, they also uh, were kind of uh, expressing disappointment uh, that the meeting was scheduled at 11.30 a.m. in the heart of the workday. Well, welcome to the club. Everybody that has jobs uh, complains about that. We complained about it, too, but thank you for agreeing with us on that one. Um, and, you know, the TV media that was present for the meeting, which featured fact-based statements and personal experiences from the hunters, while the other side had difficulties bringing their concerns to the table with any credibility, uh, did a really nice job in covering it, although they gave the, the antis a little bit more uh, play than they really deserved. Uh, but that's okay. Um, you know, we're hopeful that this measure will be signed and submitted to the New York Secretary of State in time for the youth age 12 and up to take advantage of that special Columbus Day youth hunt coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm sure at least one more update will be provided before this is finally done. I mean, it could be happening today. It could be happening this week. Uh, but we need to make phone calls. You know, that the Erie County Federation understands that we need to make phone calls. Um, hopefully they will, and we'll see. 
Um, in other news, today marks the early archery opener in the northern zone. That's right, today is opening day for early archery season. Um, while this coming Friday will mark the early archery opener for the southern zone hunters. Um, the special youth hunt that I mentioned earlier, where youth hunters can get an early shot, no pun intended, at white-tailed deer with firearms, begins October 9th and runs through the 11th. That's Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Um, with currently all hunters, uh, 14 and 15-year-old, able to uh, participate in this special season, while 12 and 13-year-olds may participate in the counties that have already lowered the hunting age for deer, which pretty much means uh, everywhere, um, with the exception of Erie County, Rockland County, and uh, you know the New York City and Suffolk and Westchester counties, uh, which were precluded by law from taking advantage of this. Uh, during this season, a youth hunter may take a deer of either sex uh, with their firearm using their regular season tag, or the antlerless only uh, harvest may be taken using DMP or DMAP, provided the harvest is occurring obviously in the appropriate wildlife management unit that you have a tag for. Uh, this particular hunt also the mentor may not participate. I mean, you're going to be certainly supervising your, your youth. Uh, but you may not carry any hunting implements with you during this time if you are uh, accompanying a youth hunter during the special youth hunt. I want to make sure that's very clear. And, of course, the safety orange or safety pink rules, which were just recently adopted, making it mandatory uh, for uh, hunters who are out hunting with a firearm, uh, you know, trying to hunt big game with a firearm, uh, or accompanying somebody, one who is hunting with big game with a firearm, you have to be wearing this minimum, uh, you know, 250 square inches or a hat. It has to be visible, uh, 360 degrees, um, you know, again, blaze orange, blaze pink. It can be a, uh, like a camo pattern, but a greater than 50% of that pattern has to be that orange or pink in color. Um, so, you know, that's coming up, and we're, we're looking forward to that. We've got great weather right now, and, uh, you know, the archers are certainly looking forward to get out in the woods. I'm, I, I know that I'm uh, kind of getting, getting uh, excited myself. In addition, uh, small game hunting is also hitting full swing with northern zone and southern zone seasons as follows. Ruffed grouse, which is a very popular upland game bird in New York, that opened on September 20th, last Monday in the northern zone. It opens October 1st, this Friday, in the southern zone. Uh, rough grouse remains open in both the northern and southern zones through February 28th, 2022, this year. New York also has a limited number of quail in the eastern part of the state, and quail season runs from October 1st to February 21st in Putnam and Orange counties. And then Long Island, Suffolk, and Nassau counties have a, a quail season that opens up November 1st and runs through December 31st. Cottontail rabbit, on the other hand, or should I say while I'm at it, uh, opens up October 1 in both northern and southern zones, running through March 21 in the north, closing February 28th in the south. Regions 1 and 2 see opening of rabbit November 1, running through February 28th. Pheasant season. In New York, it's a little bit more complicated, uh, and I recommend you visit the DEC Small Game Hunting Seasons map to better understand how the pheasant hunting works. Uh, the web address for that map is https colon forward slash forward slash dec.ny.gov slash outdoors slash or outdoor, not with the S, excuse me, I apologize, uh, slash 29453.html. Various youth hunts are also going on. Check uh, with your local county federation or your local rod and gun club for additional info on this special opportunity. Uh, you know, this has got, also you got to really look and see where you're going to be hunting because some places like the Zor Valley Multiple Use Area down in the uh, southernmost part of uh, Erie County, which is basically the border of Erie and Cattaraugus County, the, the borderline is Cattaraugus Creek itself. Um, you know, a lot of these places will uh, demand that you get a special permit, which is free, but you have to get that to hunt opening Saturday and the first Saturday of the season or the second Saturday of the season as well. Uh, but, you know, check your regs and make sure you're familiar with that. Uh, varying hair or snowshoe rabbit, that season opens in the northern zone October 1st, with other parts of the state that allow hunting for these animals uh, opening December or January. Again, see the varying hair season map for details. That one is not a statewide thing, as varying hairs are not found across New York State. 
And squirrel season, of course, remains open through February 28th. While the uh, the resident goose season has closed up, that uh, closed up on the 25th. That was the last day. A special note, hunting hours. You know, we did have a change in the big game hunting hours this year to move it from sunrise to sunset to a half hour before sunrise to a half hour after sunset. I want to make it clear that the hunting hours for small game has not changed. That is still sunrise to sunset regardless of what small game you are hunting. The only exception would be spring turkey hunting, which, you know, fall turkey season is, uh, you know, going to be running in the northern zone October 1, that this coming Friday to October 14, and October 16 through October 29 in the southern zone. Um, this is, again, a sunrise to sunset uh, hunt that allows uh, you know one bag one limit is one bird of either sex that's the entire season limit so you've got two weeks to hunt the uh, the fall turkey season that's sunrise to sunset the rest of small game is also sunrise to sunset and uh, you know waterfowl hunting is going to be the only difference on that that's a half hour before sunrise to sunset and the, uh, you know, the waterfowl season and webless migratory bird seasons are also ready to get underway. Um, this is another one that I recommend that you examine the season maps for better understanding. That can be found at uh, dec.ny.gov slash outdoor slash 28888.html. Um, the waterfowl hunting, obviously, uh, that's coming up. Uh, you know, very soon, and, uh, you know, you want to check your eggs, you want to check your limits per species of birds, uh, be familiar with that. Uh, in the western zone, October 2th and 2nd and 3rd, this weekend is the youth weekend. Uh, military and disabled or active duty days are November 11 and November 13th. And again, I, I can't stress enough to, to really get familiar with this on the DEC website, um, along with the pheasant hunting regulations, because they can be a little bit confusing. And that's really the repository for all things. Uh, you know, if you've got a question, don't look up at Facebook and ask somebody on Facebook, hey, I live in central New York. When does the hunting season open for, uh, for uh, woodcock, for example? Just throwing one out there. Um, you know, it's, it's something that you need to understand that it does vary. Some of the small game doesn't vary that much across region to region, area to area. That's defined. Uh, but within our, our uh, waterfowl, uh, areas. There are five different regions or five different geographic definitions of, of uh, waterfowl zones within New York, and they do have differing season dates. So, you know, make sure you check on that and make sure that you're, uh, you're aware of it. Uh, also, with regarding waterfowl, as you know, it's non-toxic shot only, and you cannot use a firearm that can, you know, it has to hold no more than three rounds. Um, you can use a plug, uh, that's the common uh, uh, terminology for a piece of plastic or a stick or something that blocks the ability of your tube magazine, say on a pump shotgun, of holding more than two rounds in it, and then that third round would be chambered. Um, make sure that you're aware of that uh, and, you know, get your, your steel shot, your non-toxic shot, uh, that could be tungsten and bismuth and, and whatever else that may be out there. Those are pretty expensive, uh, but the steel shot is, uh, you know, relatively uh, cost-effective. Not as effective as the heavier shot that's out there with tungsten and bismuth, uh, but it's also a lot less expensive. And obviously the way you, uh, you know, you can uh, uh, compensate for the lighter weight and the, the less inertia of steel is to make sure those birds come in a little bit closer to you before you start taking those shots. All right. Well, folks, you know, we're going to basically take our first break of the day as you hear that music coming up. But don't go anywhere. Stick around. We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back.
And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. Oh, what a beautiful day. It's, it, it is actually very, very pretty out. Um, you know, there's a little bit of wind out there. There's a little bit of a uh, little bit of clouds, but not too many. Uh, we did have a lot of rain that fell last night, but everything's drying up, and once again, everything's looking beautiful. Um, you know, I wanted to, to, you know, as I'm dovetailing into uh, uh, with this wonderful wet weather that we've seemed to have had, it has kept the grass growing all summer long. We haven't had any kind of a break from the lawnmower. Uh, which, you know, I guess the lawn is going to probably need another cut before uh, before the uh, archery season opens. Uh, this has also brought about a number of different things here, and I wanted to give you some updates. First, on EHD, or epizootic hemorrhagic disease, it continues to be a problem in the eastern part of New York, and it warrants repeating that the DEC is requesting bow hunters report any observed dead deer, especially in the eastern part of the state, but pretty much everywhere in the state to identify all areas that EHD has impacted in 2021. Uh, reports should be directed to your regional wildlife office. So, you know, if you're out in Region 7, contact Region 7. You can get all this information on the DEC website, looking at the regional offices section. Uh, they will go ahead and tell you, you know, what the main phone numbers are. But, you know, it's it's seen to, to be impacting eastern part of the state. You know, they've added a couple more counties. I believe Jefferson County was uh, recently confirmed EHD positive. Um, you know, this happens, and it's the biting midge fly. And, you know, we had perfect conditions for this to set up we still have a pretty warm fall you know even though fall just started we haven't been even close to a frost yet which knocks down those mid flies and ends the ehd outbreak for the season another insect-borne illness of concern this one impacts deer but it also impacts horses and cattle and other wildlife is called eee or eastern equine encephalitis and this virus uh, is transmitted by mosquitoes and again, we've had some really good conditions with a wetter fall. We've got uh, the wet you know, September that's happening. Uh, you know, the conditions really are right for the species of, of mosquito that happens to emerge in the fall when conditions are proper. Uh, and testing has revealed that some of these mosquitoes are showing positive for eastern equine encephalitis. Um, on September 20th, the uh, Cattaraugus County Department of Health released notice of a planned aerial spraying to reduce these problematic mosquitoes, which was to commence on September 22nd and run for four days, weather permitting. The weather didn't permit. They're going to be starting it up. They could have started it over the weekend. They could have started it today. Um, but safety data sheets on the pesticide are available for those who are concerned about this activity. The spraying is going to start after 6 p.m., um, was to start on the 22nd, uh, but again, you know, the weather with all the wind and the rain, it did push it back a bit. The impacted areas in Cattaraugus County include the entire town of Conowango, portions of Leon falling west of Route 62 to Gulf Road, the town of Napoli, Cold Spring, and Randolph. Those towns are all getting treated. Uh, residents are advised to remain indoors from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. and keep pens inside and keep your windows closed, etc. There should be no, you know, real uh, uh, issues with this uh, pesticide, and you can go ahead and, and examine it from the data sheets that are available on the New York State Department of Health website. Uh, however, you know, with with massive exposure to the stuff, you know, kind of like Agent Orange and long-term exposure, you know, it could present some health issues. Uh, so take your proper precautions, uh, but equine encephalitis is deadly and it impacts more than just the wildlife. Um, livestock is in jeopardy. This is why these efforts are being done, so we don't have massive outbreaks of this that are triggered by these mosquitoes. Hopefully we uh, all are aware of that. And, uh, you know, I, I reach out and I say thank you to the Department of Health and, to, you know, Cattaraugus County for being on top of that uh, and taking these, uh, the measures that they need to, to do to, you know, keep cattle prices down, keep, uh, uh, you know, the, the deer from, uh, you know, experiencing a, a loss in population that may not be readily accounted for in the management plans, etc. In other news, 
Anger is rising throughout the ranks of deer hunters over the recently proposed regulatory action that the DEC has uh, presented uh, to allow counties to opt out of the new holiday hunt that encompasses the last seven days of the year. That's established for this year starting January 20, or December 26th to January 1. As I mentioned in the last episode, the DEC cannot regulate away their authority. And if permitted, this will set a horrible precedent potentially allowing our counties and any counties to opt out of any DEC wildlife regulation, creating confusion and untenable patchworks of rules county to county. This proposal was the result of legislative pressure that was brought to bear by the New York State Snowmobile Association, according to their July 2021 newsletter. Under their legislative affairs report, it was Senator John Mannion, a Democrat from the Senate District 50, and Assemblywoman Carrie Warner, again Democrat, this is the Assembly District 113, that introduced this bill, uh, which was uh, S6510 and A7785, at the request of NYSAA. Um, claiming they had the votes to do this legislation, uh, pressure was applied to the department to craft regulations to address this instead. The session is over, and quite frankly, I would actually dare the legislature to act on their threat. Uh, but, you know, I've been taking phone calls from landowners across, uh, you know, not just Region 9, but across the state and hearing from my colleagues on the Big Game Committee that they, too, have been taking, uh, you know, phone calls, including some northern zone uh, property owners that are not impacted by this uh, holiday deer hunt, which is a southern zone hunt only. Um, and they're really kind of very upset, you know, because now what we're seeing here, in addition to problems, you know, we don't manage deer based on wildlife or based on county. It's based on wildlife management unit. Some of those units straddle multiple counties. Uh, you look at uh, in Region 9, 9H, that straddles, uh, you know, Erie County and Wyoming County. You look at 9G, that's Erie County and Chautauqua County. 9A is Niagara County and Erie County with Grand Island falling into that one. Uh, the, the one that I think is amazing is over in Region 7, Wildlife Management Unit 7M, 7 Mary. Uh, that has six different counties that touch it. So what happens if one county reaches out and says, I'm going to opt out and the others don't? Are there going to be chalk lines laid down? How can the DEC possibly, you know, manage the, the, the deer populations when they don't even know if some of these deer are being taken in these areas while other areas are allowed and, you know, it, it's, it's just, it becomes untenable. And when you add to that the WMU aggregates now that are used to update uh, at a more uh, expeditious and efficient fashion the uh, the buck take objectives across the state you know you've got two or three um, wildlife management unit aggregates into buck management zones and they cross all the counties I mean this is unbelievable how this could happen but the bigger problem here is landowner rights I received a, a call in, in uh, from Chautauqua County, a landowner who owns several parcels in Casadega. He's reached out to the local clubs that are closest to him, and he's expressed his utter disgust right up to the New York State uh, Snowmobilers Association that if this passes, then, you know, you've got the trails that are actually in jeopardy. Um, you know, that the landowners are in a precarious position, and ultimately this is a landowner issue. Um, you know, they, they have the right to decide if people are going to hunt their property. They can post it up and have nobody out there. Uh, and, you know, they also decide whether or not to let the snowmobile corridors cross across their lands. Um, they don't get any financial compensation from the local clubs, uh, from the New York State Snowmobile Association, from the New York State Trail Fund. What they get is a pat on the back and a nice dinner at the annual banquet for their allowing these club members to traipse across their land to prepare those uh, the trails before October 1st. And then obviously once the, uh, once the snow is down on the ground and the last big game uh, or the regular big game season is closed, um, you know, they've got groomers that are running, they've got sledders that are running at all hours of the evening, and they don't get any money for it. However, many of these property owners are now seeing a benefit from hunters leasing the land at, a, you know, 25 30 bucks an acre. And, you know, that's their opportunity to help defray the property taxes that are ever escalating in New York State so they can hang on to their land. And, you know, now what is being proposed is that the county legislators can say, we're going to opt out, and you, Mr. Landowner, 
can't let anybody hunt on your land during this time, but you're going to have to leave the snowmobile trails open because this is why we're, we're opting out, just for the snowmobilers. And they're turning around and they're saying, really, if this goes ahead and happens, goodbye snowmobile trail. This is even happening in the northern zone, folks. I mean, I'm hearing people, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of landowners to completely disrupt the snowmobile corridor network when 80% of those trails run across private land. This is a kerfuffle that we certainly as sportsmen and women don't want to see. I don't want to see anything happen and get harm to the snowmobilers. You know, we like the snowmobilers, even though back during the uh, 2006 push for the Snowmobilers' Rights and Responsibilities Act, they jacked up the uh, non-club registration for sleds from about 50 bucks a year to 100 to uh, those who are non-club members for a trail fund contribution. And they didn't exempt those people who are ice fishermen that don't use the trails, they use a snowmobile to drag their gear on and off the ice. There was no, uh, you know, no exemption for that. Uh, so, you know, they took it in the can. And, you know, in addition now, they're actually pushing to increase those uh, non-club snowmobile registration rates uh, for New York residents that are non-club members from 100 to 125 bucks per sled and the non-New York non-club um, uh, residents, non-club members uh, going from 125 to 150 while at the same time looking to exempt vintage snowmobiles which are 30 years or older so I guess uh, ice fishermen could buy a, an, an old clunker, a, a hoopty of a sled and be able to, to, you know, maybe have something unreliable to drag their stuff out and then they can't get it back off because they need some kind of repair or whatever. I don't know. But this thing is backfiring big time. And, uh, you know, this is just, uh, you know, it appears to me that the outreach that was supposed to happen from DEC and Parks to the landowners and the snowmobilers really wasn't done very well. Uh, I think the one who was doing that outreach, you know, must have had arms as long as a T-Rex. Uh, it's just, it, it falls down really terribly. And we all, you know, knew that this was going to be an issue. In fact, in my comments that I submitted to the New York State DEC uh, on the holiday hunt when it was first proposed last year, uh, you know, I mentioned specifically that we need to raise awareness that the landowners can open these trails up, um, you know, right at the end of regular season, and things can coexist just fine. The reality that's always missed is that the trails can't open without snowpack. It's not just snow on the ground. Three or four inches of snow doesn't cut it, as you have to groom the trails, and you need enough snow to make a snowpack and get a groomer out there so that when the snowmobiles are running it, they're not tearing up their track and they're not tearing up the property. And when you have enough snow on the ground, you have enough snowpack on the ground, it's real hard for a lot of hunters to get out because you're talking about two to three foot, maybe a little bit deeper in areas. And, you know, that's difficult to walk through when it's up to your, you know, up to your belly button. And it's even more difficult to drag a deer out of the woods. So that's really what needs to be, uh, you know, relayed is that, you know, instead of looking at this as a negative, and maybe losing a couple of days between Christmas and New Year's, they've actually gained an additional nine days at the end of regular season that they could potentially open those trails up. And at the on the flip side of this, they're looking at a couple of days, you know, and they're making a big stink about a couple of days, three or four days, seven at the most. I mean, it's you know that in interruption, and then having the counties basically dictate to the landowners that this is how you need to use your land and the backlash is no more snowmobile trail for you and that's going to interrupt the you know the corridor system uh, not just for the seven days but that would do it right through the end of uh, the end of february into march when the trails have to close so it's very short-sighted and we're working on it we're trying to get people uh, you know to understand that this is uh you know not the right way to go um you know, so, you know, stay tuned on this, folks. Again, the comment period of this one ends on November 14th. Make sure the DEC is aware of all the problems that they're, you know, introducing with this. And while you're at it, reach out to the legislature, reach out to your representative, and educate them because they really didn't know either. Well, folks, you hear that? That's right. Two segments today are already in the can the fastest podcast in cod podcast history has taken a second break of a day 
But don't worry about a thing, folks, and stick around. We Love Outdoors will be right back. Welcome back, sportsmen and women and conservationists all across New York State and the Fruited Plain to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify, and welcome back. This is our third segment of the day. Um, you know, just wanted to continue on, uh, you know, with with this, uh, this effort here that uh, New York State has embarked on with this. The precedence is just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, and from a legislative standpoint, since this particular season is done regulatorily and it's not codified in law, um, you know, it kind of becomes an embarrassing legislative uh, initiative if that season would ever disappear. Now you got an absolutely useless law on the books. Um, it just none of it really makes a lot of sense, folks. So, you know, push back on it. Make sure you get your comments out there before the uh, comment period closes on November 14th. Um, you know, just it, it's crazy. All right, so you know I'm going to go around the horn real quick and, and you know bring you some different pieces of news. Um, this year seems to be the year of record catches being reported, and thus far it seems September is continuing that trend. Starting in New Jersey, we're on September 1, 2021. Uh, George Hanicus of Perth Amboy, New Jersey, reeled in a new state record gray tilefish. This is a marine or a saltwater fish that weighed 23 pounds 8 ounces, eclipsing the previous record by 4 ounces. This feat in and of itself is tremendous, but some debate has arisen as to whether this fish may qualify as a new world record, as the gray tilefish in New Jersey is also known as the blue line tilefish in other states, or simply is known as the blue line by the International Game Fish Association. The current world record for blue line is 23 pounds 4 ounces, and officials are determining whether this does indeed constitute a new world record, but we at least know for sure that New Jersey has a new record um, for this particular species, and congratulations, George, uh, on that wonderful catch. And meanwhile, a similar thing is actually going on up in Connecticut when lucky angler Ben Tomkinus, say that in her last name twelve, you know, three times fast, Ben Tomkunis, uh, caught a 21.3-pound white catfish from Coventry Lake in late August. This catch not only set the Connecticut state record, it actually shattered the previous record, which stood at 12.75 pounds. Um, this was a difficult record to certify, as white catfish and channel catfish look very similar, especially when they're, they're getting to larger size. However, after several experts examined the catch, they concurred that the species was indeed a white catfish, and the new Connecticut record was just recently confirmed. It may not be all for this catch either, as according to the International Game Fish Association, the record white catfish, the world record, currently stands at 19.3 pounds, caught in 2005 from an undisclosed lake out in California. Tom Kunis is submitting his catch to the association for consideration, and it might be that we got another world record that has fallen this year. I just want to say congratulations to those lucky anglers. Job well done. 2021 seems to be the year of record catches. National Hunting and Fishing Day, National Hunting and Fishing Day, also rounded up and uh, finished up this past weekend. That was Saturday, uh, September 25th, and it marked the 50th anniversary of National Hunting and Fishing Day, which is a congressional day of recognition that was established in 1971. Uh, events were held across New York State and the nation celebrating the importance of hunting, fishing, trapping, and shooting sports in perpetuating our wild treasures and restoring them from the brink of extirpation that was happening at the turn of the 20th century. Erie County, New York, actually began this tradition the year before in 1970 uh, at Alden Conservation Club when we held really our first uh, uh, ever uh, uh, 
event uh, that marked the importance of hunting and fishing, etc. And in 1971, the U.S. Congress ratified this day as a special day of recognition. Uh, you know, former Buffalo Bills quarterback Jack Kemp, who was uh, just started out in Congress then, was instrumental in getting this one done. Uh, I had heard that up north over the weekend, uh, the northern areas had some pretty heavy rains on Saturday, but down in Elma, where the Erie County Federation held their annual celebration, it was dry throughout the entire day, which was a big plus. And the event was very well attended, considering all the other events that go on that day and lingering fears over COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, you know, we, able, we were able to raffle off 12 rod and reel combos to lucky youth attendees. We drew one every 30 minutes, and the smiles on the faces of everybody there said it all. The shooting ranges, all of them, and we had archery, we had crossbow, we had air rifle, and we had trap. The trap ranges were busy the entire day, and many kids came back to shoot again and again, which is absolutely fantastic. Our instructors reported they had a wonderful time. And uh, I also had a conversation with a 13-year-old young man who's been trap shooting for over a year now, and he absolutely loves the sport and the challenge, and it, it was really fun to, to talk with this young kid. He was great, and this was just reflective of everybody that was there. It was such a wonderful event. This year we had a couple of new exhibits and a new, some new things to show, and one of them was called Smart Snakes and Spiders, which the kids found absolutely fascinating, and you know, full disclosure, I kind of found it pretty cool too. Uh, they had tarantulas and scorpions and different types of snakes. Uh, it was just wonderful to see that, in, that exhibit was inside in the uh, clubhouse itself. And we also had... Uh, Messenger Woods come and provide a seminar on wildlife rehabilitation, providing information on the various raptors we have in the area and what to do if you find wildlife in distress. One of the other uh, exhibits that we had, we actually had the honor of having Western New York angler Phil Pless bring his all-time state record archery buck, non-typical, for display. He had it on display. Him and his father came down. They set up a table and provided information about this buck, which is the New York State Big Buck Club record all-time non-typical uh, that was harvested in Niagara County on November 8, 2020. Plus informed me that he wasn't even planning on being in the woods that day, which was a Sunday, as he had family plans in the morning, and then his family was planning on watching the Bills game in the afternoon. He mentioned that he had seen this buck on trail camera images for a couple of years, but it wasn't until summer of 2020 when he actually saw the animal on hoof. And this got him going, and he, he ended up buying a new uh, single-pin site for his compound bow and took most of the summer practicing and becoming really, really proficient and uber-confident in his abilities. Um, you know, so, you know, he was really confident. He kept getting these trail cam picks. However, as the early archery season started getting underway, the buck seemingly disappeared. And Pless thought that either the buck found some does and vacated the area, was taken by a lucky hunter, or was perhaps hit by a motor vehicle. However, during the Bills game on November 8th, which the Bills had well in hand by halftime, he got this funny feeling like Spidey senses that he needed to be in the stand. And he told his wife, this, you know, the same, he had to go out there. And he headed to the stand setting up by 3 o'clock. And at 4.30, to his surprise, that buck of a lifetime stepped out of the tree line with a doe. And he collected himself, he drew back, and let the arrow fly at the buck, which was about 50 yards away. The arrow flew true, and he knew he had a good hit. When it was done, and then suddenly that was when the adrenaline rush took over, and as he describes, he was shaking so bad he couldn't even complete the carcass tag, and his friends did that for him. The buck's gross, uh, gross score was 221 and 3 quarter inches, with a net score after drying coming in at 214 and a half. This is the largest non-typical buck all time in New York, eclipsing the previous record of over 4 inches. That was absolutely fantastic, and I want to thank Phil for coming out and spending his day with us on Saturday and showing off this absolutely magnificent beast of an animal that, again, is right up in Wildlife Management Unit 9A. That's where it came from. We, we're seeming to see a lot of big bucks coming out of the northern lake plains nowadays. As that habitat shift has been happening down in the southern zone, the big forests uh, are maturing down there. 
The food quality may not quite be what it used to be because obviously the sunshine isn't penetrating uh, the ground cover and the, the, the ground brushes, uh, which is what all the tender vittles are for those browsers, just aren't there anymore. Meanwhile, up in the northern end, there's still plenty of vittles out there. There's a lot of brush. There's a lot of great habitat, and the buck quality is really showing it. That's just fantastic. Uh, the Erie County Federation also received a special New York State Senate proclamation for our support of National Hunting and Fishing Day and the continuing dedication that we provide to educate the people about this. That was presented to us by State Senator Ed Rath III, and we thank you very much for that wonderful honor. Um, you know, it's really nice to see that our elected representatives, at least some of them in the, this area, really understand the importance of hunting and fishing and trapping and just shooting sports for these wild treasures to continue. So we have these treasures to pass on to the kids who are not here yet so they can become the wildlife stewards and make sure that these beautiful, magnificent animals that share our world with us remain in healthy abundance on our landscape for the foreseeable future. Uh, thank you very much for that wonderful honor. Uh, we certainly do appreciate it. And we're all looking forward to next year's event already, um, which is always the fourth Saturday of September. So, folks, mark your calendars on that. And, uh, you know, we'll make sure that we get that information out so when next year comes around and the 51st annual National Hunting and Fishing Day celebration is going to be getting underway, we're going to make sure we let you know about it. And hopefully we can get people to mark their calendars early, block off that day, come out out to this free family event. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful. We had free hot dogs that were donated by Wardinsky's. Wardinsky's, thank you very much. Uh, a great hot dog, by the way. You know, everyone talks about Salins, and we like Salins, uh, but you know what? Wardinsky's is seeming to be a little bit better. And, uh, you know, we thank them for the donation. They donated over 300 hot dogs for us. And, uh, you know, everybody walked away with a smile and a full belly and learned something new right across the board. Uh, you know, thank you very much, everyone. That was fantastic. Uh, we also had visits from a couple of other uh, elected officials on, on that day. Uh, Assemblyman Dave DiPietro showed up. Thank you very much for attending our event. I know that day was a very busy day, as well as the minority leader in the New York State Senate, Mr. Rob Ort. He showed up as well, and uh, you know he's been you know very very uh, active and very instrumental, um, along with uh, State Senator George Borello, in a lot of these uh, uh, pushes to defend our environment and our ecosystems from the folly that is renewable energy. Um, he's provided a lot of information, a lot of educational outreach on some of the things that are being suppressed about the negative impacts of wind factories in your backyard. And he was absolutely thrilled to find out that the New York State Conservation Council has taken a position to seek a permanent moratorium on offshore wind development in the New York waters of our Great Lakes, our waters of life. He's absolutely thrilled at that. He also understands that the council is seeking a permanent moratorium on this, just like Canada has put in for the entirety of the Great Lakes, all five Great Lakes that fall within the United States. And this dovetails into his push that, uh, you know, George Borello and uh, Brian Mankdalau, Assemblyman Mankdalau, put forward uh, last session uh, with the permanent moratorium that they're looking for on development of offshore wind turbines in any fresh water of New York State. We need to protect our resources. This is the most precious resource that we have is fresh water, and we shouldn't be industrializing any of it for empty promises. And, uh, you know, it was really nice to see uh, this attention, to get the thank yous, uh, to be able to also inform, uh, you know, the good senator on this uh, opt-out uh, legislation and regulation. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of pushback coming up because now they're fully understanding of what was going on. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, head that off and, uh, you know, not have this horrible, horrible precedence set. Well, folks, three segments are now in the can. The fastest podcast in history is going to take our final break for the day, folks. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Stretch those legs. We love outdoors. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere.
And welcome back, sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the final segment of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. Oh, boy, I tell you, you know, it's it's a just a, a, a crazy, crazy you know, summer coming to an end. We're now of a busy, busy fall. And the word continues to get out on the scam that is renewable energy, folks. You know, now, you know, my position on renewable energy has always been, it's, it's if you want to go ahead and embrace this stuff privately, you want to supplement your uh, electrical energy needs privately, you know, reduce your draw from the grid, that these things can do, you know, in a limited fashion, deliver that desire for you. But on an industrial scale where you need 24-7, 365 energy, forecastable, predictable, dependable, um, to provide always-on power, these things just totally fall short. And the word is getting out that this is really a scam. Um, you know, the, the proponents of these renewable uh, resources or these renewable energy schemes, uh, you know, really want you to avoid the realities of electrical energy generation to push, you know, wind and solar upon the unsuspecting taxpayer that just jacks prices up. The secret of this charade uh, is falling rapidly on the, among those who just ask a few questions. And while Governor Kathy Hochul pushes this charade, she did do a good governor move last week when rededicating the Niagara Power Project's digital upgrades and some expansion up there, which positions this important hydroelectric facility as the largest in New York and perhaps the nation, with a nameplate capacity that can actually be realized on demand at over 2,500 megawatts. Uh, you know, she did step in it a little bit with the environmentalist zombies when she called the plant an important and major part of New York's renewable energy and emissions-free strategies. As the greenie kooks in name only, or as genos, as I'm calling them, greenies in name only, um, you know, they don't want hydro to be called renewable, uh, but they sure want to see the production from hydro into the renewable portfolio to make it look better. Um, you know, that's that's really the key, is that all the renewable uh, orders and demands and goals that are set by the arbitrary and capricious climate change law focuses on solar and wind, says nothing about expanding hydro, which New York has 7,000 unpowered dams across New York State, geologically and geographically located, spread out to reduce the impacts and energy loss due to Ohm's law. But they don't want you to look at that because it doesn't take up a lot of room. It doesn't consume a lot of lands. It doesn't impact your ability as a landowner or as an individual with natural rights to use the natural resources to have those rights curtailed. And, of course, it doesn't jack the prices up for electricity so high that you need two government programs to pay your electric bill. You can't travel, etc., etc. And, you know, discussions that I've had recently with legislators reveal more and more are starting to realize what this is really all about, and that is crippling the New York State economy by exporting our jobs while increasing our cost and dependency on imported energy. And there is the liberal leftist lunatic energy strategy in a nutshell. Export our jobs, import our energy. Brilliant. It's absolutely ridiculous because, you know, when we import electrical energy from, say, the coal plants in Pennsylvania or in Ontario or New Jersey, coal plants, which, by the way, are a lot dirtier in their emissions than the coal plants were in New York, even before we started shuttering them, they were, the, you know, meeting the most stringent uh, clean air standards possible. And despite that, we shuttered those plants. And, you know, now we're shuttering nuclear as well, which is efficient, which are emissions free and actually deliver a lot of power. Um, we're trying to supposedly replace these with wind factories and solar panels. And every time we do this, we are importing more and more electricity. The tune of between any given day, 3,000 to 5,000 megawatts coming in from all these other areas um, that increase our prices just to keep the lights on. It is absolutely breathtaking. I mean, case in point, case in point right now, and you can go and visit any given day, 
the New York State Independent Systems Operators website, which will tell you all sorts of information that is updated every five minutes of every day to the condition of the grid, including market pricing, including the real-time load, which is our demand plus base load to keep the lines energized, where we are importing from, how much is being imported any given time. We also can see New York's output. And right now, New York's output, total output across all fuel types, is 13,735 megawatts. But we have a load of 16,862 megawatts right now. We are importing roughly 3,200, 3, 3,100, 3,200 megawatts to keep the lights on. That is impacting our pricing on the day ahead market, which should be around $20 a megawatt. Right now, it's running around $29 a megawatt, uh, you know, with you know, light congestion, but we're, we're bringing in power, you know, 256 megawatts from PJM Keystone, that's coal plants in the western part of, of uh, Pennsylvania. Another 448 megawatts coming from the Hudson area in Pennsylvania. I mean, these are another 315 megawatts coming from Linden, New Jersey, and 375 megawatts coming from Neptune, which is over in the, uh, the Maryland area. I mean, this stuff is coming in. We are importing this, and this is from coal plants. But it doesn't hit our renewable portfolio because it's not generated in New York. Isn't that a great scam? That's exactly how this is happening. So we are greening up by basically shuttering down what works in New York so we can use what doesn't work and claim that we are environmentally friendly while we're jacking up our energy prices across the state to all the residents and businesses, and we're actually not uh, you know, changing that standard whatsoever. We're just increasing the imports, which is absolutely terrible. Uh, you know, we used to be 100% energy efficient and energy independent in New York. And, you know, now we have to be on the, the dependency from all these other uh, states and out of Canada because of forecasting. And if we don't commit to a certain level of electrical energy coming in, you know, they're not going to forecast it for us. And then when we have this shortfall that we always have up to 5,000 megawatts a day, you know, any given minute of any given day, that's really the, the long and short of that one. They wouldn't have the power to provide to us. They would forecast for their own demands, as well as if they're exporting to other neighbors that are around them. And, you know, we would be simply out of luck, and we would be literally living the lifestyles of the Amish without these uh, energy sources. So the, the, the thing that these genos are claiming is that to be green, we have to have more wind factories, we have to have more solar panels that don't deliver energy as needed. Case in point, today is actually a pretty good day for wind energy in New York State. Um, but again, we don't have the demand. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, air conditioners that aren't running right now. Uh, you know, the, the temperatures are cool. Um, you know, the light levels are good. We don't have heaters turning on, so forced air pushing, the, you know, the demand of, of heating spaces isn't happening either. Our demand is pretty low in the fall, especially in the early fall. And, you know, our output of, you know, 13,735 megawatts right now, uh, wind energy is making up about 1,000, almost 1,100 megawatts, which is still less than 50% of their nameplate capacity across the state. And it certainly doesn't rise to the 60% of nameplate capacity that would come from a standard power plant versus nuclear providing right now 3,255 megawatts to the grid. Uh, you know, we've got... Uh, we've got natural gas providing 3,456 megawatts to the grid. Hydro, hydro is bringing 3,285 to the grid, and dual fuel is bringing 2,452 megawatts to the grid. Meanwhile, wind energy is has just dropped. It just upgrade updated itself. We went from 1,085 megawatts. Now it's down to 1,064 megawatts. And again, that is not a power plant. Now, it is certainly doing better because some days we don't get anything off of it. And even during the day, we can see that this production is going to be dropping. And I believe it's forecast for the winds to lay down today. So by the time we get down to the, you know, the sunset period of time, we're not going to have 
uh, wind energy providing a significant amount of energy, and that's the entire problem. Because of its unreliability, because of its unpredictability, it delivers no public benefit because higher prices and scarce electricity is not in the public interest. This was discovered and, and ruled upon in Minnesota not too long ago. I reported on that at last week's uh, episode of We Love Outdoors. But this is, you know, true right across the board. And solar, even though we got some wind happening in New York, we really don't know what solar does. Uh, right now, we've got 230 megawatts being reported fed into the grid from solar energy, but that's also energy storage, methane, refuse, or wood being used to generate limited amounts of electricity. And that's just, that's just not good. Uh, we do have three megawatts coming from coal or oil, diesel generators that are still uh, active right now to try to make up some of the loss that's uh, you know being seen on the eastern part of the state due to congestion, especially off of the NPX or the New England Power Exchange uh, interconnects. There's a lot of loss that's happening over there, and it's impacting the prices over in uh, New York New York City, excuse me, New York City. Albany area, Long Island area, their prices right now for bulk power are over $50 a megawatt. Uh, you know, it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous why we are doing these things, but we're doing it to claim the image of being green. We're not being green, folks. We're causing problems within the grid, causing challenges for our, our, our grid management, and we're putting strain and stress on aged interconnects between the states and Canada for additional power that we, you know, we used to import maybe a thousand megawatts, twelve hundred megawatts a day, uh, you know, and those were during the high peak uh, demand areas those times. But as we've closed our coal plants and as we now have only one nuclear plant left in operation in New York State, you know, that have, you know, a nameplate capacity of, you know, eight hundred to fifteen hundred megawatts, and and now we take that out of the mix. And, you know, like, like the Indian Point uh, nuclear reactor number two that was shut down uh, just recently uh, in April, that had a uh, 1,050, or I believe, or it was a, you know, maybe even a little bit higher, uh, could have been around 14 or 1,500 megawatt uh, capacity, nameplate capacity, and it was running since 2017 at 84% of that nameplate capacity. That's gigantic. We lost that. We put these wind factories out that don't deliver diddly, and all we see is an increase in imports from 1,000 megawatts a day, give or take. We're now sometimes up at 5,000 megawatts that we're importing from all around our neighbors. And remember, California went ahead and declared an energy emergency because they have a shortfall of 3,500 megawatts any given minute of any given day, and they're embarking on trying to get new natural gas plants installed as fast as they can to close this major gap, which is impacting more rolling blackouts to keep away from the brownout scenario. Just absolutely tremendous. Well, folks, you know, it, I just wanted to, to, to give you that education. You know, we still have people that think it's a, it's a wise idea to push um, all these things upon us, but especially out in our waters of life in the Great Lakes, that just doesn't make any sense, and we're here to defend and protect that. Uh, you know, the science is already out there. We already know that this stuff isn't going to work. Uh, there will be times when there's the wind is blowing and there will be times when it, it doesn't. There will be times when the wind is too strong and we have to feather these things. And all the, the contaminants that are coming out of these, these uh, monstrosities, these pinwheels to stupidity, uh, you know, with the bisphenol A shedding into the waters from the blades due to natural erosion, the leading edge erosion, the natural erosion of neodymium within the uh, nacelles and the permanent magnets and the leaking of hydraulic fluid, not to mention the infrasound and acoustic performance that uh, per pollution that's out there. Wow, you want to talk about just, you know, brain dead. This is what the, the genos, the greenies in name only, are pushing, and they're not doing any favors. They're not protecting us. They're not doing a darn thing. So, I, you know, I just strongly recommend that people remain uh, you know, remain vigilant, get involved, talk to these people, talk to your representatives, make sure they support the permanent moratoriums, and let's protect them for the kids not yet born. Well, folks, that's right. This episode of We Love Outdoors is done for today. And I want to thank everybody for joining me and listening. 
don't worry about a thing. These wind turbines aren't built. We've got hunting and fishing seasons that are opening up. The hunting seasons are opening up. Fishing seasons are still in swing. This is the fall bounty. This is the harvest. And I hope everybody takes the time to enjoy the great outdoors. Until next week, folks, I'll see you same bad time, same bad channel. God bless.